the Oakdale Christian Centre podcast. During the summer months, members of our church volunteer to lead the Christian Growth Bible Studies on a Thursday night. In this recording, Tim leads a study in the Christian life, starting strong and finishing well. The main reading is 2 Timothy, chapter 4. So it's about the Christian life. Running well, finishing strong. I am at my best nearing the finish of a race. Until then, I am just another mediocre distance runner. Just one of the many run-of-the-mill competitors. Well back in the pack, just one more man trying to string together six-minute miles, not quite succeeding. But with the finish line in sight, all that changes. Now I am equal to anyone. I am world-class. I am unbeatable. Grey-haired and balding and starting to wrinkle, but world-class. Gasping and wheezing and groaning, but unbeatable. So writes Dr. George Sheehan in his book, Running and Being. And always, I'm always surprised when people are running, if you watch them in the Olympics and everything else, they lag behind and they come to the home street and all of a sudden they, mm-hmm. they, they run sort of like 10, 10 seconds under metres. Mm-hmm. I thought, why couldn't you have done that sort of three laps ago? <laughs> but it is, when you see the finish line, you just have a spirit of energy to keep going. An accomplished cardiologist, author and marathon runner, George Sheehan lived with his wife and lived with passion and purpose, even when confronted with terminal cancer in 1991. He demonstrated courage and determination. He ran life's race and he finished strong. Mm -hmm. As with Dr Sheehan, the day will come for each of us to finish life's race. In 2 Timothy 4, we read how that time had come for Paul. In fewer than 100 words, he shares with us the hardship of his present, the heartbeat of his past, and the hope he holds for the future. In this brief passage, Paul reflects on his life's ministry. He looks around, looks back, and then he looks ahead. With the finish line in sight, As he picks up the pace, Paul sums up his dynamic life and his hope in death. The lesson we learn from this aging apostle will enable us to run well today, while encouraging us to run strong tomorrow. Paul's words are dictated probably to Luke, because everybody else has left him. Shortly before his martyrdom at the decree of Roman Emperor Nero in AD 66, 30 years he he has travelled, He witnessed, he worked and preached throughout the Mediterranean world. He had been helped and hated, assisted and attacked, blessed and cursed. Whatever else can be said of his faith and life, it certainly wasn't dull. Enduring imprisonment and anticipation in anticipation is execution. Paul begins in verse 6 with two vivid metaphors telling us about his hardship at the present. First, Paul sees himself as a drink offering about to be poured out. What is the apostle saying? In the ancient Rome banquets commonly ended with a particular ritual. The symbolic act of pouring out on the ground a cup of wine in honour of the Roman gods 
Here Paul borrows this image. He says that his, his life is an offering poured out for the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, this fits with Paul's belief that all of life is to come under the Lordship of Christ. All of life is to be regarded as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. As Paul writes in Romans 12, verse 1 to 3. First reading. Living sacrifices. Therefore, I urge you, friends, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. You know, in effect, the apostle is saying, the Roman authorities will not take my life. Rather, I will die living my life, giving my life for the Lord. I have been living sacrifice, serving him since the day I was saved. Now I will complete that sacrifice by laying down my life for the one who gave his life for me. Second, 2 Timothy 4 verse 6. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is very near. Paul, Paul, <laughs> Paul also relates that the hardship he is facing will soon cease. He writes, the time has come for my departure. The word departure is a word that has many meanings. For one thing, it can mean to hoist an anchor, to set sail. It seems that Paul looked upon his present hardship and his impending death as a release from the world. Paul saw death an opportunity to sail into eternity. Another meaning for the word departure refers to striking and taking down the tent. The apostle longed to be be freed from his battered and broken body, his earthly tent, now shackled in prison. He anticipates his martyrdom as a charge, as a change of place and a journey home. As he told the Philippian Christians, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul awaits his release from his present hardships in order to depart and be with the Lord. At the same time, Paul affirms God's sovereignty over life and death. He trusts in a personal and compassionate Saviour and Lord who will not place on him a burden greater than he can bear with the Lord's help. Rather than wrestle control from God, rather than alleviate his brief present hardship and suffering by taking his own life, Paul reaffirms his confidence in God's will and way. In this way, Paul is determined to wait upon the Lord. The Apostle Paul looks around at his present hardships. 2 Timothy 4 verse 7. 
I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Yeah, Paul looks back on his life, he remembers the heartbeat of his past. For over 30 years, he's faithfully served the Lord. In this verse, we see three images drawn from the athletic arena. Paul likens his life and ministry to that of a long-distance runner who has competed honourably in the ancient Olympic Games. I have fought the good fight. The word fight in the original original text comes from a word which may refer to any athletic contest in the Games. This phrase carries a much broader meaning than we commonly associate with a fight or a boxing match. The word is agon, from which we derive the English word agony. Yes. It pictures an athlete coming off the field, having given his all, given his best. Here Paul is truthfully saying that he has given his all to Christ. He said, I have run the race. Having given his best, Paul now sees himself as crossing the finishing line. It is easy to begin a race. Yes. It's easy to run hard for the first few miles. Not the first few miles, but the first few hundred yards. But it's much harder to finish a long-distance race. And harder still to finish strong. You know, I believe here Paul is telling Timothy and each of us that the Christian life we know is not a sprint. It's not a short, fast competition. Rather, it's a long-distance endurance run. It's a marathon-type challenge begging us to run well, to keep pace, to stay focused, and to finish strong. Years before, Paul stated his life purpose. Acts 2, number 4. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So, as we said, he said, my life is nothing. To live is Christ. That's all I live for. To do what he has planned for me. And the thing is, he planned it before eternity began. Absolutely amazing. Here in 2 Timothy 4, Paul looks back and he is able to say, I have run the race to the finish. In both these passages, the word for race is the word dromon. It is a word that has a notable place in the ancient Greco-Roman world. Historians tell us that in the year 490 BC, Dromo, a runner messenger by the name of Pheidippides, was dispatched by a Greek general to inform the citizens of Athens that the Persians had been defeated at the Battle of Marathon. Pheidippides supposedly ran a route that took him south along the coast, up across a series of coastal foothills before descending into Athens at a distance of about 26 miles <laughs> from the plains of Marathon. According to legend, as he arrived in Athens, Pheidippides announced, Rejoice, we, we conquer. Then he fell dead. <laughs> in honour of Pheidippides, the ancient Olympic Games, of which Paul was all too familiar, held several long distant runs. 
but it was the, mo the modern Olympic Games which resumed in Greece in 1896, which actually initiated the modern marathon of 26.2 miles in honour of old Philippides. Why the point two? I don't know. But there you are. During 1998, approximately 450,000 American runners began and finished a marathon race of 26.2 miles. Someone has said that the marathon is the most accessible ultimate challenge around. It is like a Mount Everest climb in a city near you. If you have ever run a marathon, <laughs> these events are usually a blend of joy and pain, and hopefully more of the former than the latter. Still, many runners can relate to the sentiment of the great American marathoner and 1972-76 Olympic medalist Frank Shorter, who, running in the marathon trials in the 1971 Pan American Games, at about 21 miles, just before dropping out of the race, Frank Shorter was really struggling. He had hit the wall and was fading fast. As he was being passed by US Olympian Kenny Moore, Shorter groaned one of the most famous quotes in running law when he muttered at 21 miles, why couldn't Fidipides have died here? Although Frank Shorter and many other great marathoners mm. had to drop out of a particular race, the Apostle Paul never did. No. Mm. He stayed the course, he saw his own life and ministry as that of a drummer. As a long distance runner and messenger of his Lord and leader, Paul could claim, I have finished the race. Mm. Then the Apostle concludes his look back on his life by stating, I have kept the faith. If we understand this statement in the context of the ancient Olympic Games, Paul is telling us that he has run the race according to the rules. History reveals that the early Greek and Roman athletes took a solemn oath before the Games. They pledged that they would compete honestly and honorably. A bit different today. Here is Paul at the end of his race affirming that his vows have been kept. And to whom were these vows made? To his Lord. Paul is saying that throughout the long, lonely, difficult and demanding race, he has kept Christ uppermost in his heart and mind. His life goal for 30 years had been to be obedient to Christ's call. His faith, though tested, has grown stronger. And the Lord Jesus in whom Paul had trusted and for whom Paul has lived has kept and carried Paul through thick and thin. The Lord's grace is sufficient for his and our every need. So far we have seen in verse 6 how the apostle looks around at his present hardship. In 2 Timothy 4, 7, the aging apostle looks ahead and writes about his hope for the future. <coughs> 2 Timothy 4, verse 8 and 5. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, <clears throat> not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Yeah. Finally, the aging apostle looks ahead and writes about his hope for the future. 
No, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. <coughs> Not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Yeah. In the ancient Olympic Games, a winner was rewarded with a coveted laurel wreath or a garland of oak leaves. With this, the victor was crowned. To wear such a crown was the greatest honour that could come to any athlete. But this crown in a few days' time would wither. Paul knows that there is for him a crown which will never fade. And this crown of righteousness is God's reward to those who are faithful and obedient to his Son. As Paul writes to Timothy, he knows that in a very short time he will stand before the Roman judgment seat and that his trial will have but one outcome. He knows what Nero's verdict will be. The judges in Rome were not righteous. <laughs> if they were, they would have released Paul. How many times had Paul stood trial in court after court and was released without charge? Yet, now he faces his last judge, his Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, the righteous judge who always judges correctly and fairly. William Barclay once observed that a person who is dedicated to Christ is ultimately indifferent to the verdict of any human court. He cares not if they condemn him, so long as he hears his master's voice saying, well done, good and faithful servant. This is Paul's hope and joy as his life nears its end. He looks ahead with confidence and certainty. He shares his joys with Timothy, reminding the youth that the crown awaits not only him, but also Timothy and all others who trust, serve and live for Christ. Consider your own life. Do you have this kind of hope and assurance? You may feel pressurised, pressed on every side. The challenge here at some time may seem relentless. You may feel a lot like Paul as his death neared. Many start strong, but fail to finish well. Every person has stories of those who become derailed over time, losing their integrity, their family or their commitments. Many of them have no one to blame but themselves for walking dangerously upon the tracks. Number six, 1 Kings 12, 1 to 5. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labour and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days, and then come back to me. So the people went away. Here's Rehoboam. What a heritage he had. The son of Solomon, the grandson of David. You know, if anyone should have had the advantage to repeat success and reject failure, it was him. But from those before him, he didn't learn. He actually did worse than them. How? But from we heard, 
ignoring God's word. At the most pivotal point in his life, when he was to become king, he makes no indication of seeking the Lord for his guidance. He mishandled his father's legacy. He was unsure how to live regarding the good and bad of his father's shadow. He never addressed his father's legacy. He abandoned wise counsel, rejecting those who had gone before because pride tells them that they are impervious to the same stakes. He reflected peer standards. He sought favourable advice. Because of pride, he longed to hear what his heart desired. 1 Kings 12, 7. And he said unto them, What counsel give ye that we may answer this people who have spoken to me? Saying, Make the yoke which thy father put on us lighter. And the young men that were grown up with him spake unto him, saying, Thou shalt speak unto the people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made your yoke heavy, but make thou it lighter for us. Thus I will say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than thy father's loins. And now, whereas my father did lay you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke, My father has chastened you with whips, and I will chasten you with scorpions. <laughs> so, he sought favourable advice rather than sought the man who advised his father and told his father what to do he went and sought youngsters advice <laughs> got no life skills <laughs> who haven't seen much life they are learning themselves you know parents can hand down and tell their, their children because they've been through it we may have made most of the mistakes we don't want them to make but sometimes they may have to make them to, to find out for themselves because of pride he longed to hear what his heart desired. Denying consequential legacies. He significantly lowered the standards for himself and thus the nation turned into deeper sin. His son became a more prolific sinner. No man leaves a godly legacy by accident. Whether your race has just begun or reaching its midpoint or nearing the finish, you know, we can have the peace of God in our lives and the peace we can have with God. You know, that is what Paul did and that is what each of us must do. Yeah. Only with the Lord will we be able to run life's race to the very best of our ability. And only with the Lord will we be able to finish strong. The story of Eric Little in 1924 Olympic 400 meter gold medalist, but he was actually an 100 meter runner and he wouldn't run on a Sunday. The king tried to persuade him to run and he said no. Mm -hmm. So one of his friends said he can go in the 400. And he said, we well, got no chance of winning that. But he did. He won it. You know, it's widely known through the 1981 Academy Award winning film, Chariots of Fire. Little, the son of Scotland, Scottish missionaries to China, himself became a missionary serving Christ in China. Like Paul, Eric Little was imprisoned and died for his faith and witness for Christ. Like Paul, Eric Little was also committed to run for God and let the whole world stand in wonder. When we look at the, the Bible, there's, there's, we, we can see that uh, when we look at the, the kings and, and everything, we're told that only 30% of them finished well. So that meant 70% of them didn't finish the plan that God had ordained for them. What ways did they finish? Running. 
We see leaders like Abraham, Joshua, Daniel, Paul and Peter enjoying deepening intimacy with God throughout their lives. Never stop to learn or growing. Continue to learn all their lives, being fully submitted to the Lord. They would develop towards full potential and completed what God gave them to do. You can finish by walking. Leaders slowed down because of sin. They fell short of what God intended for their lives. The ramifications of disobedience to God continued to plague them. Even though they may have been walking with God at the end, they didn't reach the full potential. And we see that in David's life. Joshua's and Ezekiah's. Limping. These finished the race in poor shape. They were on decline in the latter phase of their lives. This may have been reflected in their inner life with God or in their ministry effectiveness. In effectiveness. We see it in Eli, Gideon and Solomon. Then there's those who were disqualified. Some were taken out of the race prematurely. They were removed by assassination, killed in battle, denounced or overthrown. It wasn't an honourable end. Leaders such as Samson, Absalom and Ahab, because he was not pleased with them. The price is great personal shame for the individual and damage to God's kingdom. How do we finish? How do we finish well? We sing the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. But why is it that so many people do? There seems to be an epidemic of Christians who begin well, but finish poorly. What characteristics should we have? Firstly, intimacy with Christ. Grow in knowledge of Christ and make known to others. Knowing him must be at the centre of our lives. Learn to focus more on loving Jesus than avoiding sin. Loving more will result in putting our confidence in him alone. Secondly, fidelity in spiritual disciplines. Prayer, fellowship, study, worship and submission are not ends in themselves but means to the end of intimacy with Christ and of spiritual growth. An infusion of directed intentionality and effort is necessary to sustain order and growth and personal renewal. Thirdly, biblical perspective on circumstances of life. The purpose of our suffering trials is to drive us to dependence on God alone. God responds by revealing more of himself to us. This increases our faith and our capacity to trust him totally. To rely on his character and his promises. Through the times we don't understand, but he has it all planned out. His ways and purposes are true. View circumstances in light of God's character instead of God's character in light of our circumstances. We come to see God is never indifferent to us. He loves us. A teachable and responsive, humble and obedient spirit. Those who finish well maintain an ongoing learning posture through the seasons of their lives. 
Never think, think they have arrived, never think they know it all. Humility is the displacement of self and the enthronement of Christ. Yeah. Fifth, a clear sense of personal, personal purpose and calling. Our purpose is to walk faithfully and it, and it lasts and it lasts and it lasts past our career, which many of us are coming to an end. We must develop a personal vision and clarity of mission. Six, and I think this just reflects on what um, the third point Josh made on Sunday. Healthy relationships with God's family. People finish well by remaining in the body of Christ with our earthly Christian family. We feed one another. Seven, ongoing ministry investment in the lives of others. Spirit-filled lives requires us to discover and develop the spiritual gifts we have received and exercise them through the Spirit's power for the edification of others. Believers who finish well are marked by ongoing outreach and sacrificial ministry for the good of other people. Those who squander the resources, gifts, experiences and hard-earned insights God has given them by no longer investing them in the lives of others soon wither and withdraw. As you, and I, as you and I run the race before us today and tomorrow, take time to reflect on your running. Remember Paul's words to Timothy. Realise that with the Lord you and I too can fight the fight. We can run the race. We can keep the faith. With the Lord you and I can run well and finish strong. Bless the Lord. I um, love God's word, and, and of course, Tim and, uh, Paul gives his bit of a test. He hadn't finished his life by then, 2 Corinthians 11. And uh, Tim said, said it wasn't uh, dull and boring. He, of course, he says, um, uh, frequently flogged, exposed to death, and again, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, spent the night and day in open sea. I was constantly on the move, being in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger in their own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger in the sea, and in danger from false But I laboured and toiled. Uh, he said more than anyone else, but he said it wasn't me, it was the grace of God in me. He had such an encounter me with the grace of God that he said, I know what's ahead of me, and it's not nice. Now, we don't know what's ahead of us, and uh, I don't want to know. Um, but he knew, he, he knew what was ahead of him. He said, but it won't, it won't phase me from living and preaching God's word. Um, uh, because he had a, a, an eternal mindset, a temporal mindset. Uh, help us, Lord, in We hope you've enjoyed this episode. To find out more about our church, including our service times, visit www.oakdalechristiancentre.org.